Read the paper this morning. Who still reads the paper? That's a very old statement. That I'm, I'm aging myself, but I, I, I get up Sunday mornings most of the time and uh, head to my favorite diner, have a little breakfast. I read the Sunday morning paper. I call it the bad newspaper now. There's not a whole lot of good news in those things anymore. Uh, but I read it's, it's around the end of the year, so people are starting to talk about the new year. And how did 2017 go? And what were your thoughts? They're taking polls. That, uh, the Tampa uh, News took a poll, and uh, it, was, uh, it was not glowing. Let's just put it that way. 2017 weren't, uh, wasn't a favorite year of most of the people that were asked. Uh, when they were asked about the economy, most of them were you know, glad that the market's doing great and you know, economically things for most people are okay. But when they were asked about things in general, you know what the number one answer was, according to this poll in the paper this morning? Chaotic. Chaotic. That's the number one answer for like people asked about how things went in 2017. Chaotic. And, you know, we were all here. Uh, we can kind of relate. Uh, certainly the vitriol uh, between races, religions, political parties is at an all-time high. Feels like it at least. I got all kinds of kooks around the world leading countries that have nuclear capabilities. Even as I'm saying these things, some of you are like, <laughs> you're starting to kind of tense up a little bit. Uh, because it's the reality that we live in. It's the world that we have. In the middle of all this strife and chaos, uh, we gather here on a weekly basis. We talk about the one who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, the one who is the giver of peace. He's Jesus. You know that he's the giver of peace because the angels sang about it. Stand with me as we read these verses. Can you do that for me real quick? Let's stand in honor of God's word and read these verses together in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. It says, in the same region, I'm going to try to go slow. Here we go. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. May God bless the reading of his word. Have a seat. In the King James Version, which is what we usually see on greeting cards and most of us have memorized you know, from perpetuity, it's glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Last time we were together a couple weeks ago, we talked about the glory part. Before you get to the implications of the information, you got to start with the celebration. And the angels made a big fuss, still to this day are making a big fuss about everything that God has done. Did you know that the angels kick it up in heaven, they throw a party every time someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ? Bible reports that. Every one of those 75 people who made a decision for Jesus Christ, if it was legit, the angels made a fuss. And why? Because the angels' chief aim, the angels' chief existence goal is to glorify the God who made them. Many of us maybe aren't aware of that, that our chief aim, our chief end is to glorify the God who made us. It's the fuel that uh, basically makes the rest of the mission run. We, we, we shouldn't gather here if we're just doing this out of ought to. We should gather here because we're doing this out of get to. 
Because the God of all things created us so that he might receive glory from us. It's his glory, his celebration that we start with. But now we get to the implications of this song that the angels sang. Glory to God in the highest, the highest praise of all to God. And the implication is, is that Jesus' birth signifies peace coming to earth. Jesus, in other words, was born to bring peace on earth. How can that be true in a world that seems so chaotic? How can that be true when peace seems like this thing that's so hard to find? Well, it's true because uh, in in Christ, we can have peace. Despite the storms, despite what's going on around us, we can still live in tranquility in this peace that the Bible describes as surpassing understanding. You need to understand what the Bible says about peace to really understand what uh, this is that Jesus is bringing. Peace on earth, uh, it's actually the Greek word erene. Everybody say erene. Erene is a, a name or a word uh, that means peace. Uh, it's fr- from that word that we get like the names like Irene. Anybody know an Irene? Anybody got an aunt Irene? Her name means peace. My little sister, her name is Aaron. Another form of the Greek word erene means peace. If you're Irish, Irie, Ireland, that word Irie that starts Ireland is peace from the Greek word erene. Anybody ever seen a serene setting? Anybody see erene and serene? It's just got an S on the front. Yeah. All kinds of words, all kinds of names derived from this Greek word erene, but uh, here's what it means. It means to join or bind together. We say peace in our English translations, but it's literal meaning, it's root words mean to join or bind together. It's like uh, uh, taking something that's been severed and divided and, and, and dissipated and bring it all back to whole, right? It's kind of like, I picture it as like the human hug. Anybody got hugs? Anybody like hugs? Some of you don't like hugs. I'm sorry, you're missing out. They're really great. But uh, one of my favorite things to do with my family members, especially my hot wife, Eleanor, is to give her a hug. I just love giving her a hug. And, and, and listen, uh, usually that's how fights end at my house. Anybody had a disagreement that ended with a, a makeup hug? Maybe it went further than that, but, uh, but the makeup hug, it's usually the start, right? Uh, because when fights happen, what happens? Spouses, parents, kids, the divide comes. When sorries have been issued, when forgiveness has been given, Things come back together. And we have this beautiful thing. I mean, why do people hug? Why is that so important to have human touch? Well, sure, it's a sign of our love. It can be a sign of our forgiveness. But it's irene. It's bringing us back to peace. The Old Testament talks about the word peace in another way. The Hebrew word for peace is most often uh, the word shalom. Everybody say shalom. If you're over in Israel, this is how you say Hi. Or goodbye, shalom. If you're uh, there on the, on the Sabbath day, you, you say to everybody in Israel, Shabbat shalom. Uh, that's peace on the Sabbath, basically. Uh, it is, uh, it, it's, it's their greeting and their, and their farewell, but it, basically they're saying every time, peace. I used to sign my emails, peace, Mark. Uh, I thought it just sounded cool, I guess, I don't know, but uh, fitting, if I was, especially if I was Jewish, for me to do that. That's, that's how you're supposed to uh, dial up and sign off, shalom. Uh, Shalom is this Hebrew word that basically means uh, complete or sound or whole. It's uh, having everything accounted for, everything in its place. I help out on Wednesday nights with Awana 
Uh, they've given me the third grade boys. If we could harness the energy <laughs> in 12 third graders, we'd solve the, you know, the energy crisis of the entire world. I mean, they're just, they're nonstop. It's just constant fidget. They're on the move. And the way Iwana works is we trap them inside a containment room uh, and we, uh, you know, teach them some verses and, and try to talk to them about God's word. And that's awesome fun. And, and some of the, man, some of our, we got some really sharp kids. Some of you guys have got some really sharp kids, I got to tell you. In all the grades, I'm sure, but I'm just amazed by some of these kids. They, their, their minds are like these sponges and they soak up God's word. It's awesome. That's, that's how it starts. But then we come out here for game time. We go out in this patio and the herding of the cats begins, all right? Because they just, and they all look the same and it's dark out there, right? And so you're hoping that they're all throwing the, you know, the, the dodgeballs at each other and that everybody's playing the game. But then the game ends and the people who've been running those games, you know, start cleaning up. And it's our job, me and the other leaders, to shalom these kids, to bring them all together. I usually bark out something like, third graders on me! And then uh, they line up. Has anybody seen the lines that third graders make? <laughs> they line up in front of me. One of our other leaders, Joe uh, or Henry, they, they basically start counting them off. And once we have the number that we came out with, guess what? Shalom. And we go inside and grab a drink. Uh, I don't know about you, but I have certain places in my life where shalom happens, where it's all good, where it's whole, it's complete. One of them is my, uh, my, my lazy boy recliner in my living room. Uh, especially at these times of years when it gets a little, little cold and I have to actually wear sleeves. Isn't that nice to have to wear sleeves every once in a while? Some of you are like, no, I moved down here so I didn't have to. <laughs> I like sleeves. I like cold. And I like getting cold and sitting down in my recliner and throwing a blanket over the top of me, watching a football game. That is my shalom, right? All is well. Don't ask me to get up. I'm not. It's not happening. Unless nature called. Anyway, uh, Irene, shalom, these are the words that God chose in the Hebrew and Greek languages to describe peace. Would it surprise you then that the words that describe the lack of peace are the exact opposite of those things? The word merimnao is the Greek word for anxious. Be anxious for nothing. In Philippians 4, we're going to get to that text a little bit later. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. When you see the words worry, anxiety, sometimes fret and fear, uh, you're reading this Greek word in the New Testament, merimnao. Merimnao simply means, mere in its root, means divided or apart. And so we have these ideas of peace being the bringing back together of divided things, of making things whole. We have an understanding that anxiety and worry and fret, stress and chaos, those are all the tearing apart of things. Merimnao is what happens to the socks that you throw in the dryer. They come out without their match. They've been divided. We understand this, you know, in, in injuries, I, I was playing basketball in college and I, I ran into a wall, it's a long story, and it was a short gym, and uh, I, I took a big jump and I, I ran with this tip of my toe into the, the wall and my heel hit the floor and just everything below my shin, basically, and I didn't break any bones, because maybe I made a rubber back then, but I tore every tendon, uh, my Achilles heel was stretched and almost broken. I ripped, I mean, and just immediately, has anybody ever broken something or, or damaged something in, in your body? Immediately you know, Maram not, oh. <laughs> something is not where it's supposed to be. And what do you feel? Pain. 
What happens to us when we worry, when we're anxious? Emotionally, we feel pain. Sometimes that pain turns into bitterness. Sometimes that bitterness turns into rage. Certainly, whatever the results of our merimnao, we're not whole. We're not complete. Things aren't right. This microphone and a lot of the you know, devices that you're holding right now, reading the Bible from, or the cars that you get into, if you, if you get the pieces of that thing out of whack, they don't work. Like There's three basic pieces to this microphone. I got this pack that sends a signal to the you know, the board back there so you can hear my voice. There's this little cord that runs up inside my suit jacket and terminates up here at this earpiece so that I can talk into this. And then the biggest, the most important part of this sucker is a 9-volt battery. Because without it, it doesn't matter what kind of hardware I got. There's no juice. But like with so many other things, if you, take just, if you divide those parts, if you take just one of those parts away, all you got is a paperweight. And stuff isn't working. And here's what you got to understand about our God. He designed us to work a certain way. He gave us parts that are meant to be in certain places, doing certain things. And when we are doing it right, when we are with him and he's with us, and when we understand that with him we are complete, we are whole, we are together, then peace is possible. doesn't matter what our circumstances are doing. doesn't matter what's happening in the world. Irene, shalom. Oh, I wish I had that 24-7, 365 and a quarter. Anybody with me? Wouldn't it be great to always live at peace? Some of you are sitting here right now, dark room. You're like, yeah, I feel very peaceful. I'm about to fall asleep, Mark. <laughs> but then you're going to get out of here, and whether it's the hectic stuff of the Christmas season or the struggles at work, maybe you've just had a diagnosis. Uh, you're, you're running through uh, the, the little money that you have with no hopes of replenishing, whatever the causes. you got relational uh, issues going on with people in your life. They're coming for Christmas. you got to see them again. Well, my reminder to you this morning is that Jesus is born to bring us peace on earth. So let's spend the rest of our time talking about how Jesus brings us peace on earth. How does Jesus bring us peace on earth? There's three ways. The first one is this, that through Jesus we can have peace with God. This is the most important. Through Jesus, we can have peace with God. Some of you are like, I didn't know we were at war with God. You totally were. Before you were a Christian, you were an enemy of God. That's what it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, that we were enemies reconciled to God. You were, because of sin, divided from your God. But Jesus came, as we sing the songs and as we talk here most weeks, to bridge that gap, to bring us back to God. And it tells us as much in Romans chapter five where it says this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We who are dead in our transgressions and sins, Ephesians two, we who are enemies of God, Romans five, we were justified. That's something that was done for us, outside of us. Everybody understand justification? Justification, is, as far as uh, it, it relates to our salvation, is, is God doing the work for us that we could never do for ourselves. He stamps his approval on us. He provides for us our justification. He, without uh, just omitting the cost, we'll get to that in a second because Christ paid our cost, but he is the one that confers righteousness on us and justifies us because of his love for us. Justification is basically picking up someone's tab. I was at my life group uh, Thursday morning and 
Uh, we have this practice every Christmas uh, that we are together. It's been almost 12 years. Well, it's our 12th Christmas. Is that right? Someone in my group? It's been a long time. Anyway, uh, uh, we, we hang out at Cracker Barrel on Thursday mornings, and, and for a long time, I think almost all the time that we've been there, uh, at Christmas, we bless our servers. Uh, usually, uh, there's one or two ladies that just, you know, take our tables every Thursday morning, and so the guys generously give to a, a pot, and we put it in a card, and, and we hand it to them. Well, this week, this week, we handed them their Christmas bonus, or whatever you want to call it, and said thank you and celebrated them, and then our server, Cindy, said, hey, I got good news for you guys. Somebody from your church came in here this morning, and they saw you guys having your life group, and they picked up the tab for everybody's breakfast at this table. Isn't that great? It would have been even better if I had ordered something. <laughs> but as is my norm, I just drink water because I'm leading the life group and everybody else is chowing down around me. I'm looking at pancakes being like, oh, those look good. But, but on this particular morning, I was like, man, I missed it. But then I got back to the more righteous way of looking at things and I was like, wow, isn't that great? None of us, there's like 20 of us sitting at that table, none of us deserved to have someone buy our breakfast for us, but because of someone's uh, grace and love and encouragement, they picked up the tab. If you're in here, thank you very much. And it reminded me, oh, yeah, no, you can clap for them. <laughs> it reminded me of what God did for us on a far more <laughs> infinitely larger scale. Is, uh, we, we were unable to pay our debt uh, most of the guys in there, I guess, ordered breakfast with something in their pocket to be able to pay for it. But when you and I come to this, this, uh, uh, this, this exchange that, you know, uh, the things that are required of, of us, perfection and holiness, to be in, in right standing with God, they're not ours. They're, it's not in us. We are born severed in our relationship with God. And God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, he sent Christ to die us. He justified us. He justifies us on the condition of our faith. Everybody see that there in the verse? Therefore, since we have been justified by what? Faith. That, that's the one thing that we bring to the, to the table, to the, to the transaction, is, is we cease believing in our own abilities to secure our salvation, and, and we instead throw ourselves at the mercy of God and, and, and rely wholly upon the work of Jesus Christ at the cross. He's the one who bridged the gap for us. We've, uh, for 2,000 years, had this symbol. There's a couple of them in our rooms, these crosses, uh, which are, was the instrument of death uh, for our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I've often heard it preached that, you know, the cross was the means uh, because, you know, it's got some biblical, symbolic, you know, a man is cursed if he hangs on a tree. There's all kinds of verses. But then I, I've always heard some, well, not always, but a lot of preachers say the reason that Jesus was hung on a cross is because his arms were stretched out so that he could reach us. And, and pull us in, 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 in this you know, holy reception, this holy hug uh, of acceptance. I don't see it as such, though. I, I, if there is any symbolism in the cross, I see it as the bridging of a gap. Anybody ever seen the picture that Michelangelo painted of God and Adam? It's a famous one. God's up there with the big white beard, and he's kind of reaching down off a cloud. He's got a finger pointed out, and Adam's you know, got a strategically placed swath of clothing, and uh, He's, he's got his finger, and they're doing the E.T. thing. Anybody, you know, you've seen this thing where they're you know, kind of touching fingers. Um, 
It's a beautiful painting, it's a fine picture. But if that is uh, anything past Genesis chapter three, that's not the picture of God and man. Like that, that, that could be the picture of God and man at, you know, at the start at the garden where things were connected. But once sin came into the world, the Bible's very clear. There was no connection. There was God loving us and us rebelling against him. But there was no connection. So if there's any symbolic something in the cross and the outstretched arms of Jesus on it, it's this picture of Jesus being the bridge between us and a holy God. We're justified by our faith. We're brought by our faith into this, this peace that we, this arene is the Greek word there, that, that we're meant to have with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to go on to the second thing. The first one is that through Jesus, uh, we can have peace with God. But in Jesus, we can have, experience the peace of God. In Jesus, we can experience the peace of God. And that's what I was talking about as we opened this morning. In a world that's being classified and clarified, or you know, declared chaotic, uh, we who follow Christ, because Christ is in us and we are in him, we can exist in this peace that surpasses understanding. We read about that together this morning in Philippians chapter 4, a familiar passage, one that maybe you've even memorized, but one that I wonder, uh, like I, I, I do this all the time, I know, I know addresses and verses and you know, uh, can quote things in the Bible, but I don't always reflect on them. So let's reflect on these verses perhaps a little deeper than we maybe normally do. It says in Philippians chapter 4, Paul writing, from prison to his friends in Philippi. And he says, as a prisoner to these Philippians, hey, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be miramnao about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, verse seven, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This, this peace that God wants to give us is gonna act like a wall, like a force field that surrounds our hearts, our emotions, and our minds, our thoughts. If we allow this peace to envelop us like it's meant to, then anxiety is a thing of our past. In place of worry, we'll have trust, hope, confidence, and from those we'll experience peace. God wants to be our guard to surround us in his peace. But for that to happen, uh, we have to walk through the steps that Paul (laughs) describes in verse six. The first thing we have to understand is we need to be anxious for nothing. So we're like, well, I'm I'm not anxious about most things. That's not what it says. I mean, great, great for you if you can ride a roller coaster. Way to go. Good for you if you don't mind getting up in front of people and talking. Most of the uh, world, that's like their number one fear. I mean, whatever it is that you're, you know, totally cool with, great, good on you. Where are you not? What are your worry spots? Who can send you into a tizzy marked by anxiety? As a father, most of the time it's my kids. Anybody? Parents? Yeah. I mean, I'm fine, and I'm even fine with Eleanor. She's certainly up there, but, you know, I, I trust her. But these buggers are growing up, Right? And they're making choices. And they're at an age now where I can't send them to their rooms anymore. They don't live in my house. And they make choices and they, they, they head in directions and I'm like, ah! And, and, and my, 
My, my emotions and my heart start kind of coming apart. And I wonder about the what ifs. And I start worrying about things that are way beyond my control. Can we all agree that worry is basically empty calories? That we're basically spending a lot of emotional equity on stuff that we have absolutely no control of? Can everybody see how worry just wastes our lives? That's why Paul here in the imperative says, hey man, be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. Be anxious for nothing. There is nothing in this world worth your worry, Paul says. And so here's what he means. Let me just make sure I'm clear. It means if you're a worrier, you need to stop. Something like, just like that? Yes. By the grace of God, you come against the fear in your life and you say, Lord, I choose in place of fear to trust. I choose in place of worry to release and rely on you. So I'm like, Mark, it's not that easy. I know. I do counseling by the hour. I have rarely seen an hour fix anybody's pains. I get it might take a while. But you have to put a stake in the ground and say, this is who I am in Christ. I am at peace, Irene, joined together with him. I am in shalom, I am complete, I am whole. And for me to live outside of that identity is to refuse the grace and the blessing of my relationship with Jesus. And so by his strength and in his grace, I refuse to worry. That means if you're prone to worry, like right now you might be listening and be like, yeah, Mark, you tell those guys that are worrying. <laughs> but the next thing's coming. Here's, here's your uh, message in this imperative. Don't start worrying. If you are worrying, stop. If you aren't worrying, worrying, don't start. When you feel it coming, run into the arms of your Savior. It's like being on a diet. Anybody, you know, especially this time of year, if you're trying not to eat sweets, good luck. If I believed in luck, I don't believe in it. But uh, may God's providence and grace be upon you. But you know what the, 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 the best way for you to not eat sweets? Don't be around them. If someone walks up to you with a tray of cookies, hightail it. Don't even explain why. Just be like, I can't be in the presence of those sugary carbs. And it should be the same mentality that we have with worry, with fear. As soon as we feel it coming up, as soon as we start wondering about the what-ifs and the stuff that we can't control, we pray and we say, God, no, not going there. It's not who I am in you. We run into his sure arms. Be anxious for nothing. Be prayerful for everything and everything that we do. Not just the big stuff. Here's, here's the thing. Most people are foxhole uh, Christians. And by that I mean when things get really bad, the bombs are exploding over their heads, the diagnosis has come in, I got six months, or whatever it is. Well, that's when they get serious about Jesus. That's when their prayer life just goes boop and off we go, right? But the Bible doesn't say wait for the biggies. The Bible says be prayerful in everything. If I can go back to verse six there, it says be anxious don't be anxious for anything, but in how much again? Everything, by prayer and supplication. Those two words are really interesting. You could have just left it at prayer. The Greek word prosuke, everybody say prosuke. 
is the typical word that we use for prayer. Uh, but he goes on and he says, prayer and supplications. That's the Greek word diesis. Diesis basically means specific request. So he says, listen, instead of being worried, be prayerful and ask specifically for what you need. Why would he do both? Well, I think it's because prayer, if you, we don't have a time to go into a whole bunch on prayer, but prayer is basically as much about relationship as it is about results. Prayer is about you connecting relationally with your father. And it just goes to reason. Listen, if you're worrying and you're having all this self-talk in your head about what's going to happen, what could happen, or how this is going to go wrong, wouldn't it be better for you to spend your mind's equity on a conversation with the God who's in control? Wouldn't it be better for you to kind of be relating with him instead of yourself, who is finite and unable? I think God just wants us to be in conversation with him so that he can uh, uh, remind us of the truth of of our relationship with him, so that he can uh, even distract us from the things that we will allow ourselves to worry about. I used to take my son to the doctor. He's 22 now. He goes by himself. But when Cooper was younger and it was time for shots, Katie barred the door. It was just going to be, he's just got this deathly fear of needles. And uh, I've told this story before, but one time we took him down to one of these Quest Diagnostics to get his blood drawn for some tests. And I mean, literally, I had to throw my body across him so that the, the, the lady with the needle could draw the blood. It was a, uh, you know, an hour that lasted a year. Anybody know what I'm talking about? He's gotten better. And, and in re- <laughs> Not a whole lot, but... Uh, but he's gotten better, and in recent trips uh, to, the, to the needle time, uh, here's all I've done with him. Uh, he, he sits in the chair, puts his arm over there, and maybe you do this. He just turns away from whatever it is that he's fearful for, fearful of, and, and what's he do? He sits and he looks at me, and we talk about anything and everything, about how his last video game session went, about you know, what's going on at college and in your classes. And, I, and, I, and, and sometimes he'll start doing this, and what do I do? Grab him by the chin. Nope, over here, bro. Because we're going to walk and talk through this. And it's that relationship that takes his mind off of things. I think that's what prosuke means here. But supplication, it means uh, being specific, petitioning our God and saying to him, this is exactly what I want. It tells us in James chapter 1 that we need to pray, but we need to ask and pray uh, for wisdom and other things, believing that God can. Otherwise, it's, it's a waste of our breath. If we don't Pray believing, we're not praying really. We're just talking what we're supposed to say. But if we say specifically, God, in place of my fear, I'm asking for this specifically. Well, that's what he asks us to do. Be in relationship with him. Ask specifically for what we want. But then he throws this, if I can go back to that list, he throws this last thing in there. We need to be anxious for nothing. We need to be prayerful and everything. But then we need to be thankful for anything. Has anybody ever noticed that in these verses? Be anxious, don't be anxious for anything. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, and then he throws this little phrase, this little prepositional phrase, with thanksgiving, just celebrated it. Turkey was great. But with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Why does he throw the with thanksgiving thing in there? What's gratitude have to do with asking for what you need? I think it's got everything to do with asking for what you need. With thanksgiving there means I understand that God knows better than I do. And that regardless of how he answers my prayer, did anybody here uh, ever pray for something and God didn't deliver what you exactly prayed for? Gave you something else? Anybody? Just me? Okay, well, I'll, I'll preach to me then. Um, 
Now, a lot of times God doesn't answer our prayers, our specific supplications. He doesn't give us exactly what we want. But we believe, from what Scripture teaches us, that God always gives us what we can eat. He never gives us anything that with him we couldn't handle. And he uses all things for our good, right? And so when it comes to fear, I go back to the hope and the confidence that we have in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Instead of fear, we pray. We connect with God. We ask him specifically for what we want, but we pray with the confidence that no matter what we get, we, we can be thankful, grateful, knowing that our Father knows best and that he'll provide for us nothing more than we can handle and exactly what we need so that we can grow in our relationship with him. And I think we should pray uh, also with this idea of thanksgiving. We should be praying with a, a, a memory of, of all the things that God has done for us in the past. We sing a song. We just recently started singing it. But it's one of my favorites that we've sung here in a while. Uh, it's called Do It Again. And the chorus kind of builds and the band kicks in. And, and, and the chorus goes, uh, I've seen you move. You move the mountains. And I believe that I'll see you do it again. Right? You made a way where there was no way. And I believe I'll see you do it again. Love that song. Because I don't know what you're thinking about, but I'm thinking about my mountains. I'm thinking about all the times that I should have died on the road, driving somewhere too fast. <laughs> oh, that's when I was a kid. <laughs> I think about all the times where if God hadn't interceded, I would not be standing in front of you. And my life would have been drastically different. It's that Jimmy Swagger, or Jimmy, Jimmy Swagger, Jimmy... Uh, Who's, who's the guy in the Christmas movie? Stewart, yeah. Swagger, swagger's totally different. Anyway, yeah. Uh. <laughs> What's that movie called, the Jimmy Stewart movie? Okay, it's a wonderful life. It's, it's this whole thing about how, you know, uh, you know the movie. I'm bogging down. Anyway, but there's so many ways that my life could have changed drastically for the, for the different. But God in his mercy and grace and sovereignty directed my life. He, he brought me a woman. I, I outkicked my coverage so big time with Eleanor, it's just ridiculous. And if I think about his blessings in the past, it eases my worries for my future, my gratitude for God's grace in my history. Changes my present and shapes my tomorrow. The last thing I want you to understand about peace, and what did Jesus bring when he brought us peace? He brought us peace with God, he brought us the peace of God, and he wants us to have peace with others. Because of Jesus, we must pursue peace with others. It says in Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live irene, at peace. With how many people? Once again, there's no like uh, loopholes in this one. There's no like everybody except the people in my family. Because, you know, most of us have no problem li uh, being peaceful with people that don't live with us. Most of the time. It's just if they're under our roof, hey, bets are off. But it says there, now, as far as it's up to you, live at peace with everybody. Now, it, it, it kind of leans into the, you know, understanding that sometimes peace is impossible. It takes two to, uh, you know, to, to create true and lasting peace. But wherever it's possible, wherever you are able, live at peace with the people in your life. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5 that we're supposed to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, right? Some of us 
are good at that in some relationships, but there's certain people in our lives where we're like, <laughs> we're peace breakers. Because they know how to push our buttons. It's not my fault. If she would only, if he would only. God says, no, that's not how it works. You don't get to have certain people that you can not have peace with. Everybody deserves peace. A lot of us, though, we're Christians, and we aren't going to outwardly or, or you know, uh, vocally or, you know, we're not untoward like that. We're, we're civilized. We're godly. So, so that we, we become peace fakers. Right? We'll just kind of go into our hole and just pretend that everything's okay. Last night someone asked me to do this. Luke, I am your father. <laughs> but that's not how we're supposed to live either. Peace isn't this thing that we fake. And peace certainly isn't something that we're most, you know, just supposed to break. It's something we're supposed to make. God's called us to be the peace agents in the relationships of our lives. And so I'll, I'll leave you with this. How are you doing with that? How are you doing, first of all, with peace with God? Do you have it? I know many of you do, but some of you don't yet. And i got to tell you right now, if you have skipped out on peace with God, peace in yourself and peace with others, it's just not going to happen. And not in the way that God wants it to. It starts with peace with God. Do you have peace with God? Do you have the peace of God? Or do you live your life from worry to worry? Uh, I would remind you, that's not who we are in Christ. Stop it by the grace of God and his strength. Stop worrying. Pray instead. Be thankful for whatever he gives you. Are you at peace with others? Well, now you're messing around, Mark. Well, that's my job. Is there someone in your life that today you need to go and make peace with? Because wherever it's possible, as far as it's up to you, you're supposed to live at peace with others. Some of you are like, Mark, you just don't understand. I do understand. And, and here's, here's what I would say as we close. If you aren't experiencing peace in one of these areas, it's probably because you believe in Jesus, but you don't believe in Jesus. You're like, how's that possible? It's totally possible. You can believe a lot of things about Jesus. You can even agree with you know, the basic tenets that I'm preaching this morning about him bringing peace. But until you take those outer, uh, you know, peripheral beliefs and bring them inside to a heart that says, I claim these truths for myself. I believe this. I don't just believe about it. I believe this, and I let it function or as, as my, my credo. It's my, it's my bedrock. It's, it's everything that I build my life on. The disciples were uh, constantly, over the three and a half years with Jesus, uh, ratcheting up their belief. They believed in lots of great things. They saw Jesus turn water to wine, you know, fishes and bread into sandwiches for thousands. I mean, uh, they saw whole kinds of stuff in there. And every time they saw these miracles, their belief would come up. But then sometimes as they were hanging out with, with Jesus, things would happen that were life-threatening. Like what happened in, in Mark chapter four? I'm not gonna read the verses for the sake of time, but uh, they, they forgot who was in the boat. If, if you're struggling with peace, just remember who's in the boat. Can you, can you please leave here this morning remembering who you have in your boat? Because here's what's coming, storms. It's gonna get sloppy out there. Things are gonna happen that you're gonna be way beyond your control and it's all gonna come down to uh, whether or not you believe in Jesus or you believe in Jesus. Because here's these disciples and they're on a boat ride out in the Sea of Galilee 
And Jesus is there, and he falls, says it very specifically. He falls asleep in the stern of the boat. He's just taking a nap. Winds come up. It's apparently, for fishermen who are you know, seasoned sailors, it's apparently life-threatening to the point that even they're freaking out. And as they've done everything that they can, they've exhausted all of their tricks to save this ship, this boat, they finally come to the sleeping Savior in the stern, and they say, hey, are you just going to lie there? You know what they actually say? Can you bring up the verse? That, I think it's verse, go flip through these things. I want you to see the exact verse. Mark 4, 35. Keep going, keep going. Read it fast, keep going, keep going. Here it is. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Who's prayed that one? God! Jesus, do you not care? Do you not even know what's going on in my life? Do you not even see what's happening with my kids? Can you not even sense that there's something wrong in my marriage? I'm going to lose my job. It's Christmas. And those people are coming. Do you not even care? I'll keep reading. He says this. He woke and he rebuked the wind and the sea. How, how just mundane is that? Mark doesn't you know, use any superlatives. This is a miracle. Jesus stands up in the stern of the boat and he says, enough, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. What's really telling in this story is what he says to his friends. He's turned to them in verse four and he says, why are you so afraid? Why do you worry so much? Have you still no faith? That word still there is very telling. Because like I said, these guys have seen over and over again Jesus heal and provide and prevail. And they get in a little bit of a storm where Jesus is just trying to get some sleep. And they completely forget who's in their boat. Oh, may you and I always remember who's in our boat. May you and I remember the words of Jesus in John 16 where he said this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. You, in this world you will have trouble. You'll have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I love Christmas for the songs. Anybody else with me on that? Some, uh, thank you, sir. Yeah. Uh, some of them are my first memories as a kid. I went to church with my uh, parents. My dad was always a pastor growing up, and uh, so I just grew up around the church and its songs. I knew from an early age the, the origin of this one song that we're going to sing together as we closed. Uh, it's actually t- almost 200 years old. It's 1818. Uh, this, the legend, it's on the internet, so it's got to be true. But the legend goes <laughs> that uh, in a church in Austria, uh, the organ was broken. And the Christmas Day services were going to be sans organ, sans you know, musical instruments. And so the, uh, uh, the, the worship leader and the pastor of the church decided that they need to write a special song that could be sung without instrumentation, something simple. And so they spent uh, most of Christmas Eve uh, penning the words to Silent Night. And they woke up that morning, their congregation came, they sang Silent Night together, and for 200 years, churches have been singing that sucker, right? And I don't know how you feel when you sing Silent Night. It's, 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 a, you know, it's a ballad, it's low, it's, it's you know, somber, and it's peaceful, right? And that's kind of the message of the song. Silent Night, Holy Night, all is calm, right? All is bright. You get to the end of that first verse, and what's it say? Sleep in heavenly peace. Who's been in a Christmas Eve service where you just wanted to lay down right then? Anybody? <laughs> it's a beautiful song. 
And I'm not complaining about the, era, the guys who wrote it. They, they did a great job. But I think they missed an opportunity. Because if they had understood the angel's song, they'd know that it wasn't about Jesus sleeping in the manger in some heavenly peace. It's about Jesus breaking the barrier between humans and his Father God, coming to earth and ushering in the opportunity for peace. What they should have wrote was not sleep in heavenly peace. What they should have wrote is Jesus came to bring peace. God, would you grant us your grace to live in your peace? I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.